I know for me, from my background, obviously I'm, people can hear from my accent, I'm French, but when I moved to London, you know, really my perception of was what I was capable of achieving really changed because I saw more people like me. And that's why presentation is so, so important to inspire the young generation to think that if she can do it, so can I. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking to Flavella Fongang, the effervescent managing director and founder of a creative brand strategy agency called Three Colors Rules. She's an international speaker. She's the founder of TLA, Black Women in Tech. And we talk about the thousand women that she now has in the UK in, in TLA and how TLA is doing some fantastic work to promote equality for women and black women in technology. She's a brand ambassador for the BBC and she is the host of a fantastic podcast called Tech Brains Talk. And today we're having a conversation about her new book due out on the 22nd of November called 99 Strategies to Get Customers. So we talk through some of the, some of the strategies she outlines in the book. We talk through the work that she's been doing with TLA, Black Women in Tech, and we have a broad conversation about how to get the most out of your business. We touch briefly on the neuroscience of selling, which is her specialist subject. We have fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed it. I'm sure you will too. Hello, hello everybody. Welcome. My name is Flavela Fongang, and people know me for different things. One of them, I'm the founder of Free Colors Wall, a creative branding and marketing agency. And I'm also the podcast host of Tech Brand Talk, where I have an amazing conversation with people in the world of technology. People also know me as the founder of TLA, Black Women in Technology, where I put women, black women, on a pedestal. But I'm also here because I have a new book coming up, 99 Strategies to Get Customers. Fantastic. And why did you start the podcast? I started the podcast because I was just tired of my tech entrepreneurs not finding a place to communicate with one another. And I think there's a lot that we can learn. For, there's a lot of things they're doing that are great. And also they're very bad <laughs> at being discovered. So it was a place for marketers to discover great technology to help them do great business or even just think that can improve their lives, people's life. Or it was also a place for them to exchange ideas because I think there's a lot that they can learn from one another. So it started last year and it's been great. It's been fantastic. I really enjoyed it. I've learned so much as well along the way. Yeah. It, I, well, look, I find it 
it would be rude if I just met you and talked to you for 45 minutes like we're about to do on the podcast. Whereas the podcast just means I get to ask you questions and be nosy. I yeah. find it, it's, it's, yeah. it's magic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, what, if people were going to go and uh, find your podcast, what's it called? Tech Brains Talk. Tech, tech brains talk. Brains for what's in your what's in our head, and then ah, tech brains talk. Okay, yeah, brains and talk. and if and if people were going to listen to a particular episode, is there a particular episode that we should link to in the show notes? <laughs> yes, there's one that people really like a lot is how to be a lucky tech millionaire, which is actually ah, okay. Yeah, that's a good one. This is one of our fab. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll link to that. We'll link to that in the show notes for people. And then your um, you said you put uh, black women in tech on a pedestal how do you how do you do that yes so when i've you know i started my agency now i think over 10 years ago now i think we're on our 12th year and um so i worked i've worked in a number of industry oil and gas fashion luxury god knows where and we took a drastic approach to say you know what we need to focus on one niche because we are going all over the place and the niche that we thought was a bit a bit more the more interesting the more challenging and the ones that required a lot of creativity was technology. And also because we were fully aware that the ratio of success for tech business is really, really low. And I think the problem with technology companies is that quite often they're good at what they do, but they don't know anything about branding. So they are a lot of engineer-minded, but they talk complicated. And as I've entered the world of technology, and naturally I'm a networker, and trust me, I miss networking right now. And I find myself as being the only woman or the only black woman in the room. And I... The only woman and the only black woman in yeah. the room, yeah. <laughs> so sometimes the only woman ends up being the only black woman in the room. And I refused to believe that there was no... And I'm not a tech person whatsoever. I've worked with technology companies, but, but I'm not a techie person. I know nothing about coding. And I refused to believe that there was no no woman in technology. And I took Megan, you know, I met first show the founder of London Tech, uh, of Tech Week, but also TLA Black, uh, TLA tech London advocate, should I say, the bigger group. And I had a conversation with him and said, we need to do something about it. Say, you know what, whatever you do, I support you. <laughs> and uh, and um, he had he gave me all this trust, you know, for someone he's, he's met only twice. And and I started the group and and in less than, now we a year and two months, should I say now, we are over a thousand, more than a thousand members, which is quite nice. So yes, yeah, so huh. they are so a lot worked. of technology. I found a lot. They exist. Them. Yes, they do exist. And we're just scattered. And so now we have a place where people who are interesting because we have great allies who obviously understand the importance of diversity and where we put more black women speakers to speak. And representation is so important. I know for me, from my background, obviously, I'm, people can hear from my accent, I'm French. But when I moved to London, you know, really my perception of was what I was capable of achieving really changed because I saw more people like me. And that's why presentation is so, so important to inspire the young generation to think that if she can do it, so can I. And that's really why we started and, and I'm so excited what we're going to plan for 2021. There's so much going on. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's really interesting because I was speaking to Frances Fry mm. uh, on the back of her book Unleashed and and she was giving me a bit of a hard time because I, I had said that I hadn't been able to hire enough. In my career, I hadn't hired enough female engineering uh, staff. Mm. And she said I was just looking in the wrong place. 
And so she made exactly that comment that, that you've just made is that now you've got this group of a thousand black women in technology that if anybody says, well, I couldn't find anyone to speak, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, it's like they just didn't look in the right place. Absolutely. And she, and she said, if you, if you want to know where they all hang out, you just go find one and ask them and they'll know because they have built that community. So yeah. uh, fantastic. Um, and so what, uh, what are you, what have you got planned for 2021 then? What is it that you're excited about? You've got, you've got some, you're hoping that those events that you're thinking about actually happen <laughs> and we're not all still locked down after Christmas. Yes. I must say I've, I've, I've done so many marketing. I've been on so many marketing conferences, advertising week at world Moscow and so forth. And I miss, I think I miss the most of the, the audience because you can really see their their reaction, especially what I do super engaging and super interactive. And I can't see that when I do video conversation. But yes, yeah, so from a from free colors point of view, yes, we're gonna carry on what we're doing with our clients. I think we've been quite busy. That's great. Um keep on working on helping them. So one thing that we're adding to our, our services is thought leadership because a lot of them don't understand the importance of building a, their, their thought leadership in the market to become really great influencer and they're great at what they do. But sometimes they don't really, uh, you know, undervalue the importance of having a voice. So that's from Free Colors World point of view. From Chile, Black Women in Tech, we are going to carry on, um, keep on every month bringing more women to speak about their journey, share their expertise, their strategies, and also we're creating a book. It's called the, the Voice in the Shadow that will feature 51 women in technology doing great things. And that will be distributed you know, in schools and colleges to really inspire young girls to think about, oh, wow, there's some things going on there. And I think a lot of people are not aware of all the potential, all the potential opportunities or, or job options in technology. So that's quite nice. And, ah, fantastic. And, um, so that's good. So that's really much representation for inspiration. And is, is that aimed at a particular age group? So that's the question we're trying to decide right now. So we're in uh, the final stage of deciding. But yes, so at the point where before we need to decide what direction we take for university, that's where we're probably looking at. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bit older than my girls then. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> Never to like change career though. So there's a lot of people who actually change their mind. They're like, wow, I'm going to start now and do some, some great things. And that's what's great about the group that they come and find a place where they can have conversation and learn how to start something new, which is good. I love that. Well, and give each other a leg up. Uh huh. So important. That sort of. Yeah, totally. People always say that you need to make your own mistakes and learn from it. So, you know, if you can minimize as many mistakes as you can make and learn from somebody else, you go faster. You, you, you go faster to your, you know, your end goal. I'm not saying that you can avoid all of them, but yes, if you can learn from somebody else, that is great. Yeah, you definitely can't learn to ride a bike by reading a book. But <laughs> once you've got on a bike, there are some people who can give you some hints and tips about how to not yeah. fall off quite so often. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Um, so, look, uh, why the book? Right. The book, the book, 99 Strategies to Get Customers, was born out of, of frustration of uh, the fact that the agency could not help everybody. Not everybody can afford to work with an agency. That's the first thing. We have to be honest. And the people who need help the most are entrepreneurs. Because, you know, there's no, there's no school for being an entrepreneur. It doesn't exist, yes? You know, you learn being an entrepreneur by yourself. You make a lot of mistakes. And the biggest, you know, the biggest, most important thing to, for your business to thrive is bringing customers in. <laughs> yeah. 
And if you are great at getting, you can have a great brand, you can have a great positioning, but if you don't know how to bring customers in, then what's the bloody point? Sorry. And I've decided to write this book because I felt that there was a need, especially with this economic downturn, recession, and everything else, you know, the, you know, the situation we are in, to help more businesses through this book to share all the things that I've learned and apply to get customers. And I was having a conversation with my team. I was like, okay, what do we do? How do we name this book? What do we put? How many do we put? I said, how about... <laughs> and the song from Dizzy came, came on, which is, I got 99 problems, but the N1, which is, a, I'm not going to say the, the B word, but it's a, 90, it's a naughty word. I said, how about we put 99 strategies here? Can we find 99 strategies here? Well, we're going to have to, because that would be a very catchy... <laughs> A very like, catchy title. So 99 strategies to find, because actually we have put hundreds, but I put I left it 99 strategies. And the idea is to explain no matter what budget you have, whatever you have big budget, whether you have a small budget, whether you have no budget, I share with you all the strategies that you can apply to get customers. And really the idea behind that is that you know if you the book really works if you have a great brand, so that's important. And I put this in the book and explain this book will only be effective if you have a great brand first. Then after that, just follow the methodology, the system I've put in place to help me get customers. And I feel because I get people ask me times, like, can you mentor me? Like, can you help me? <laughs> Not just all the time. So I say, let me just put this book so you can read it. And, you know, it doesn't cost a lot. And at least, you know, you get some great value and make great money back for it. So, yeah, so, and I thought that would be a great way to help people because, you know, you can't survive if you don't have customers, you don't build a, you know, a pipeline of prospects. And that's what this book will help people get. So and when you say you need to have a great brand, how, how good does it need to be? Mm. Like what, what, how do you define that sort of baseline for? That's a very good question. That's a very good question. Again, because of what is a great brand? And that's also what I explain a little bit in the book, my DAC system, which is distinguish, attract, and convert. So to build a successful brand first, you need to distinguish yourself and First, you need to pick a niche. So to distinguish yourself, you need to pick a niche and understand exactly what is in the, what is offered in the market, what your customers are, prospects are looking for and not being currently fulfilled by the market. That's, what, that's how you find the right positioning and that's how you build a great value. That's part of the brand strategy, brand strategy exercise. When you have that, A, from the DC system, stands for attract. You might be great at what you do, so you need to be able to present your business in the most beautiful and attractive way. So it resonates with your audience. I'm not saying to spend lots of money on a logo, whatever, especially when you're a small business. Start small, just explain exactly who it is for. So if you say you're going to be a luxury chocolate, you need to come across as a luxury chocolate. If you need to be, for example, my, my personal trainer makes me laugh. So we're always talking about business. He said to me, I want to attract uh, you know, the rich men say, you're working with me. <laughs> so I'm totally not the target audience, first of all. So yes, but I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, to, to take away some people that might work with me, but that's not how it works. You need to speak who you want to work with, first of all. Well, and so often I was, because I was going to ask you that, I was going to say that that is the challenge is, is you, you say to people, you've got to pick a niche and they say, well, but that will mean I'm I'm not attractive to the people mm. who who aren't in my niche, and and I often say to those clients, look, the the niche makes you more attractive to everybody. 100%. But but if you're if you're if your proposition is we we're everything to everybody, then you're nothing to nobody. Yeah. And 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 but people are fearful. Hmm? 
And then you say, well, how come you're fearful? It's not actually what you're doing at the minute is not working. So why is there a fear attached to changing it? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it yeah. can't work worse than it's not working now. Mm, absolutely. And if you pick a niche big enough, you will always have bread on the table. <laughs> you wouldn't have bread. So don't worry about picking a niche. And, and I say to people, even the, even though I, I specialize in working with technology companies, people may come to me and say, I want to work with you. And if I like them, I work with them. But that's not how I want to be known in the market. Do you see what I mean? So, yeah, oh, no, totally. Yeah. You totally. To- well, it's, interest- it's interesting. We, had, uh, we were in a workshop yesterday on the farm, and one of the clients uh, – uh, very simply said, oh, he said, I think what you're saying is he said, Seth Godin speaks about this. And he said, instead of thinking about the largest possible addressable audience, it's based on our based on the growth that we want to achieve. What is the smallest addressable audience that we could go after and mm-hmm. still hit our revenue goals? And I thought that was a really great way to sum up that, you know, like mm-hmm. what's the smallest like what's the smallest niche that would still be big enough yeah. for for us to hit our revenue goals? And I think that's an interesting way to get people to think about it. Yeah, I think people think about niche as oh, it's too it's small. I'm limiting myself. But the tech world, for example, it's big enough. I don't need to be known in in as I used to be in the luxury or whatever it is. If I by just me picking technology gives me enough room to prospect, and there's millions of businesses out there. And again, and and again, I like what you say. It's it's so important to understand that people being between a generalist and a surgeon doesn't get paid the same thing, isn't it? The, the specialist yes. gets paid more than a generalist to say, I want to help everybody. You know, if you say, I'm just going to work with this thing, people will look for you specifically, and it'd be desperate for you to help them. And pay more. Yes, indeed. I, well, because it's just people are looking to solve a problem, mm. and and you've got to you've got to look like you solve their problem. They don't care that you solve somebody else's problem. And um, so, what are some of the what are some of your have you got some favourite strategies, or are they in the book? Are they, have you have you have yeah. you grouped them? I have grouped them. That's a good question. I like that. Yeah, good question. So the first question was very much in terms of setting the foundation of your business. So. Like, uh, so have, for example, what makes a great website, you know, the landing page, if you need to have a landing page, things like that, um, know exactly how to communicate with platforms you need to be, let's not ignore social media as well, and obviously the element of PR. So it's divided in six parts. So the first part, yeah, as I think, should focus on the foundation of your of your brand, what you need to put in place from the start that you need to do once, but that will serve you at building, your, attracting your customers. Then again, something with tools that you can use that help you, marketing tools that you can use as well to create a bit of FOMO, fear of missing out behind that. With this social media, social media and social selling is very different. So I'll talk about that as well. People are not understanding how to sell on social media. And obviously, the, you know, the big thing, advertising, anything else. And, and maybe what's what bringing back, how to use some of the, effectively some of the old techniques such as cold calling or even handwritten letters. People even think about when's the last time you received a handwritten letter? Are these all tools that you use yourself at the agency or are they tools that you've seen clients use successfully? It's so some of them are tools that I've used myself and some of them are tools that I've used for conversation. I've seen how they've done it effectively. Again, you know, so again, so for my podcast, I have so many great conversations. So I learn a lot from them. Say, oh, how did you do that? For example, I love um, one of these techniques from one of my guests to say that the best way when it was small, what we did, we just hunted for the biggest celebrity brands out there. And when we had two or three of them, it was just easy to get 
the other clients, but I can explain in more details how he's done it. And it was so clever. And I love that. Again, something could be another technique, for example, technology brands may use as well, could be um, freemium. You know, how do you use trial to get people, you know, using your product? And the more they use it, the more they, the adoption of that product for free makes it really hard to let go of it. So Slack has done it. Um, uh, Dropbox have done it. Uh, all the technology companies do it effectively. Or again, um, uh, you have as well, what's uh, what I can't find, but it's uh, growth hacking. Yeah, you go. Ah, okay, right. Okay. Yeah, I wish sometimes you come back. So, yeah, so growth hacking is that people think about growth hacking. Is it illegal? Yes, it is not illegal. It's legal. It's about how do you use the power of your consumers, cons- um, uh, users to then grow your audience more effectively. The more they recommend you, the more they win as well. So it's so, so good. So, so many of them, but I explain in more detail exactly how to put them effectively because again, there's a lot of them people are very familiar with such as email marketing, but again, they're probably not using the right tools or using the right messaging behind it to, to make it work for them. So I share how it works or oh, LinkedIn, everybody is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, you know, through the lockdown was the, the, the most downloaded app in the professional world. People think about LinkedIn as Monday to Friday, but now LinkedIn is Monday to Sunday. People use LinkedIn every day as much as they use Instagram or anything else. But again, something, are you actually using social media to attract customers? And I share how I've done it, you know, simple things that work very, very well, whether you have a paid account, whether you don't have a paid account. Now, I always recommend people to get a paid account because honestly, you just need one client to make your money back on a yearly subscription. Yes. Absolutely, but the but it's interesting. The handwritten letters. Whose whose example is that? Mm. So, for example, the financial institution, the institution of financial directors, use uh-huh. it, I think very very well. And I think they turned over first year they turned something like three million turnover, or something like that. And they knew exactly who they target. Well, again, something come back to understanding your target audience. Yeah, understanding how people are communicating or prospecting within the target audience, and how do they can stand out with their approach. And it used uh-huh. so effectively that they've grown drastically. And then after that, they also launched the Institution of Marketing Directors. I can't remember the exact name, but probably I'm not saying the right name. But yes, that was the technique that they used and worked really, really well. And you knew the business ratio would be, opening rate would be 100%, because everybody opens, will open a letter, a handwritten letter, especially if it's addressed to the right person. And then if it's best book, and because it didn't need such a high number of of uh, of uh, customers for the pipeline, so was sufficient to do it. Aha, that's fab. And when you when you talk about the technique in the book, do you also reference the company that you're? Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But yes, I no, no. I, I was, I mean, well, I was just asking because sometimes mm-hmm. it's really useful, isn't it, to read that story and then go and look at their website and get a feel for are mm-hmm. they like me? Yeah. Do I think that this approach is going to work for me? Sometimes okay. I do, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I put stories that I can relate to, sometimes I don't. So I try to be very true to the point. I try to, things I could have given you so many stories, but I've, I, was, I was very conscious of not making a 500 page <laughs> kind of book. But by the end of it, you're just exhausted. Uh-huh. So is it a read all the way through? I mean, it's not, it's, it's not a thriller, but is it a read all the way through or, or is it dip in and out? I read it all the way through and then read it again and then do follow the plan that I put at the end. Super okay. important because as we have, I've, I've written the book is for, for for to stimulate people's mind, which will happen. And I said people take a pen and paper, and write things as they come along because that's what's going to happen. I remember I had the same feeling when I read the four hour four hour week from Tim Ferriss. Same thing has stimulated me and it made me create an, another business, which I talk about in the book as well. 
into something I'm able to read all of this and really not skip some of the chapter that they think, oh, I know this strategy already. Because again, you know, there's a lot of things that I haven't maybe applied, but not applied correctly. Okay, fab. Um, well, look, while that's fantastic, uh, everyone should go and do take your advice. They should buy your book and read it three times <laughs> and, then fo- and then follow your plan. Fantastic. Um, that's brilliant. Um, but look, while we've got you on and we were chatting before, you know, you're in a, you're in a unique position, you know, in marketing and so many companies have taken, you know, sort of Black Lives Matter and some people have done it well and some people haven't. Mm. What have you seen and what are you, you know, do you have clients who come to you saying, you know, what should we do? Should we have a stance? Should we, yeah. you know? Mm. The Black Lives Matter movement, you know, people don't know, started obviously, if you don't know, um, most people would know, it started in America, I think, uh, and it quickly hit the entire population. And and it was a good thing and a bad thing. Good thing that someone, a man lost his life, but a good thing because he, he woke up a lot of people in a system that did not did not um, support people from different backgrounds. And that was, that was very important. And a lot of companies also woke up and realized that um, they need to do more. They need to do more. And it's funny because when I talk about the black woman my group and I say, don't work with us because you think that we need your pity. It's not the case. We just, we are good at what we do. We just need more opportunities that allow us to showcase how great we are. So with the Black, with the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of people, what was also born is this allies who say, oh, wow, I realized that maybe I'm privileged. I'm not here because I'm great. And maybe I'm just because I'm part of a network that really supported me. And there's a lot of people who don't have access to that. And I talk about the importance of as well of networking effectively, you know, in the book. And um, so then, you know, trends of the social media are really good at just putting trends and things like that. And one, uh, in one week, the black box came up. So everybody had to post on their page, you know, a black box, you know, to showcase their support of the Black Lives Matter. But then, you know, within naturally, companies will say, oh, we need to be able to be to follow the movement, to follow the trend, starting posting the same thing, but without not any agenda of doing more than that. And I think that's what really upset me. And I was very <laughs> vocal online in terms of you cannot jump on societal issues as, as a trending topic. This is not Mother's Day or uh, Father's Day or Valentine's Day where you say, hey, we're going to do this and then go back. Or it's not like that. And we've seen it before Black Lives Matter was something with pride. People were just jumping on it. We're going to do this, but nothing really followed through. And I had to do something about it. So that's why, you know, I was, you know, I had to talk about this topic quite a lot, you know, different, you know, you know, across different marketing conferences and the importance of how to do it right. Because I think there's also a lot of pressure from um, for marketers to say, you know, you, the people from the top who say, you have to talk about this because everybody's talking about that. But do you have to talk about it? Not everybody has talked about the Black Lives Matter movement, especially if you think that it's not relevant or if you think that you... This is not what your audience needs to listen. You might do it in the background, but you don't have to be so vocal about it. Yes. So a lot of companies want to talk about it, but actually how far, what have you put in place within within your company and to start internally as an exercise needs to be done internally before you start telling people, yes, we support the Black Lives Matter movement, but then your board of directors are all white men or just, you know, this lack of diversity. And that's what I was talking about and say, you need to do an, an internal 
exercise first, a brand audit or a company audit in terms of what are you doing internally before you go out there and start spreading those communication messages with no substance. Yes, just sort of saying we support Black Lives Matter on social media and then doing nothing. Nothing. <laughs> internally. Well, as you said, you know, there's your board of directors and it's all white men. Mm. I mean, you know, they, they, you know, they... 50% of the population are, are not represented already on that board, let mm-hmm. alone when we get to any other other minorities. Uh, and I like what you say as well. You said to me, Dominique, say, do, custom, do our clients come to us? Yes, we do. And and say, well, we're trying to advertise and try to be as, you know, as much, um, you know, objective and or maybe not try to employ the best person and say, look at your brand. Look at how you're presenting your brand. Does your brand say, I want to be diverse? Because... If people don't feel that they will fit within your business, they will not apply. And also we know that quite often with women, not just black women, but just women in general, women tend to be, <laughs> if they don't fit the entire requirements, they, they don't even apply. Where men, the opposite, I think I, I do feel like a man sometimes, I think. I say, well, if I only fit 25% of men, I'm still going to apply. That's their attitude towards any opportunities. So it's important well, that we look as well in terms of how do we present our brand before we say we want it. We want to attract diverse audience and not do anything in terms of our uh, internal and external presentation. Well, and then and then having a plan and being deliberate about it, mm-hmm. because you know whatever if if your previous recruitment process wasn't you weren't setting out to discriminate, but you ended up just hiring a hundred percent white men, then you're going to have to change your recruitment process. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's if you want to if you want to have a different outcome. Yeah. If you don't want to have a different outcome, then you know that you're making a you're making a decision. Absolutely, and that's all those communities. That's also the reason why I created this community, TLA Black Community Tech, to say that don't tell me there's no black women who are great out there. There's so many. I'm actually just short on how if I could do more events to present them, I would. Just that I don't have time. Uh, but yes, there's so many of them. It's fantastic. And and people really always think about diversity as a tick box exercise, but it's a commercial advantage to have a diverse team. And I remember when I opened, when we, for the opening of, of the group, we had the richest black woman um, in the UK to open the show. She, her and her husband created a fantastic fintech business. God knows she sold it this year. They're even richer. But again, and they she understood Diversity was part of her brand DNA, and she used that to actually scale so fast. So in India, in 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 Greece, or whatever. So she would adapt that, and she would put more women as sales <laughs> sales rep because she was aware that female salesmen are much more effective as well than men. So she used that as well. But it's interesting to do that. I said, like, oh wow, and um, yeah, and this they scaled so effectively. Even though they, I must say, I was impressed because their brand was not that good looking. But they had a great product. They had a great, great product. And they had a great, um, great delivery, great service. And behind that, they had teams who could understand how to relate to the Middle East market, could understand how to relate to the African market and so forth. And that was power, not just a tick box exercise. So what, what, was her, what was her fintech business called? It's called Prepaid Financial Services. Okay. Yes. And what, did it, what does it do? It's a, it's a basically a transaction system for for banking. I'm, I'm sure I'm not don't know in so much detail. Okay, it. right, fine. <laughs> but 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 and have you got other examples where people have deliberately built in diversity at at the core of their business, sort of at the outset? 
Yes. Um, another business I was talking to as well on a podcast, uh, agri-tech agri business, something they scaled. They just raised 20 million, uh, you know, uh, through the investment, 20 million investment they raised through this pandemic as well. And they, they are an agri-tech business. And what they do, they're trying to really solve the, the issue within the food production system to reduce, obviously, the founder himself had cancer, managed to recover and did such a great job. And um, same thing, you know, scale in Brazil, in France, different places, and understood as well, diversity from a cultural point of view as well, uh -huh. and did that really well. And I think what's interesting as well, because my own business was so very much built from a diversity point of view. My team is literally like Benetton, Benetton, so people from different backgrounds. We understand that it's important. The reason why people don't find it really hard to have diversity because it's really hard to have conversation think with people who think completely different from you because you end up having very tough, you know, conversation, heated conversation, but they challenge you. And I think that's what is people need to be challenging. When you challenge, that's how you can really change things around. If people around you, if people within your company all think the same way, you can't bring innovation. And that's also why people, a lot of entrepreneurs, you think, you know, entrepreneurs who, who leave their country and go somewhere else and create a new business because they're able to see things from a different, different point of view and say, oh, wow, they don't think the same way as me. I can see there's a challenge here and so forth. And that's what is so difficult for people to successfully be diverse and inclusive because we hire, we feel safe in people who think like us or look like us. But when you hire somebody who's younger or maybe older or somebody who will come from a different, you know, you know, background, it will come with challenges. It will come with heated conversation. But that's beautiful. You have to see it as, okay, let's see how we can achieve something better than that. And that's why people who trying to scale a business internationally or may even just nationally or maybe trying to target different type of audiences need to understand it's a commercial advantage. It's hard, but it's all worth it. Well, I, I just, you know, when I, when I was speaking to Frances Fry, she sort of said, you know, well, 75% of, of where the great talent is are not currently applying to come and work for you. You know, so if you just, you know, If you just if anybody believes that they're having difficulty attracting great staff, taking a step back and you know trying to be more inclusive mm. just means you're open to more great talented people joining your team. And and when you talk about your team being sort of Benetton, because people want to join a community, don't they? You know, if you're going to be the only woman on a team, you know, you might think twice about joining that organization yeah. you know if you're the only black woman on a team then you know maybe that's even harder but in your team are people do people look at your organization and go i'm not the same as them but this is a team where nobody looks the same so that's okay 100 yes i get loads of um cvs all the time because they love you know the purpose and the vision of how we present and obviously the work that we do but they want to be part of a team that they individuality is their power and I want that it's so important I, I always ask my team challenge me I won't have I don't know the answers but challenge me challenge my decision I want to challenge me and I will always want them to feel value the people have the lowest you know um, people have the highest retention in terms of team and you know the only reason people have left is because they wanted to go back to their country or family reason But I've always wanted to give them a place where they can really express and be themselves and be able to 
work in you know in their own time and because I know how I felt when I left university I had two two degrees a master's and nobody wanted to give me a job because I had a French strong French accent and I had no experience and I believe in giving people chances and that's what I've done so I've hired young you know young um, young graduates and tested them on their creativity not just on experience because they didn't have any so it was stupid to test them on that uh, testing them on their drive you know other things that are much more important than just you know experience and depending on the role obviously and that's what was important to me and it's true and and I, I, from that I can I can really train them from the start and understand the present system that we have in place and leave them room for always to think about how can I innovate and run part how can we do this and then how can we use technology to help us help us do the work that we do better and much with less friction oh I, I was I was just I was laughing to myself when you were describing the types of people you hired because you know while we were chatting earlier I introduced you to Carlos who's the accountability coach on the team Mm. and Carlos has got you know first degree and comes from Barcelona speaks Spanish English is his second language definitely has a strong Spanish accent (laughs) uh, was working in Southampton in Subway to improve his English but has an MBA and so it's fantastic addition to the team and then we've we've also just hired uh, a Rene who's from Spain and and Katie, and it, and and you know I interviewed them. One of them I interviewed at seven o'clock at night, and the other one I interviewed on a Saturday because mm-hmm. I'm trying to see whether they have any drive. Mm-hmm. You know whether they whether they actually want to work here. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and it, it's it's easy to find these things out about people. percent. You know, ask them to do a presentation. Tomorrow, mm. you know, if, if you've got the drive, then you'll that, and you're interested in our purpose and our mission and what we do, and you're excited about working here, that'll be no problem at all. Mm-hmm. You know, the candidate, the candidates who don't want to work here say, "Oh, really? Tomorrow? I'm not sure I'm available. I've got a dental appointment, or I'm going to the hairdressers." Fine, okay, don't work here then. Yeah, do that instead. <laughs> Absolutely fine. Yeah, and I think a lot of you know, that's why you know um, companies like ours, you know, I've never try to get people in for a number of physical advantages or like you can have breakfast, you can have this, you know, if you go, you know, if you go into these large companies, they give you all sorts of perks. Now that, they, you know, they're in lockdown, they, they, they struggle with their company culture because how do we maintain that company culture when we can give them all these tangible advantages? Where for me, I've always focused on listening to my team. I'm not saying that all of them are bad. That's not what I'm saying. But I think that the, the reason why I'm able, you know, we were hybrid already. So it means that people could come whenever they want, you know. So we had this flexibility. So I give them a space to have a voice. I give them a space where I challenge them on their, you know, their drive to be successful. And really in saying that you don't come in Freakless World to make a logo. That's not what you're making. You understand that every client that we work with, we take full responsibility for their success because if they win, we also win. And that's, that's yeah. what we're here for. And when you explain that to an employee, they can see the power that they have. They can see the impact that they're making. And it's just, just not another, just an employee. They are part of a team that are trying to achieve greater things. And I think that's what, you know, I've, you know, I've done with this is creating an, an, an environment people will be excited to work with and see that they are part of that that great thing. Oh, we did that. I was behind that. And that's amazing. Well, look, and the other thing I think, uh, just to pick your brains on as I've got you here, one of the other things you're, that's one of your sort of ha- hobby horses, if you like, is that is neuro branding and neuro marketing. Yeah. And, and do you apply, because 
if I understand it right, what you do is you take you take a you use you use creative contrast to to drive those things forward. Do you do the same thing? Is should companies be doing the same thing in terms of recruitment? Is their branding not just about dr- driving revenue and consumers, but also about driving employees and driving diversity amongst their employees? When it comes to new new branding or new marketing, how we call it, new, what is new marketing? New marketing is the science of consumer behavior and purchasing behavior. But whether you are a consumer, we are still an individual. So there's different things that we, we sell to as a company, as an employee, as an employee, an employer who sell the desire to work for this company, especially when there's a shortage of talent. So think about not just a product or service that you're selling. What are you selling to different um, individuals? What are you selling to the different stakeholders of your business? So investors, they want, to, they want to think, should I invest in this business? So how are you presenting your business? How are you articulating your business so you can appeal to them? So it's important in every, every single aspect. Let me tell you something, like the brain is by nature, we use the lazy part of our brain because we need to make quick decisions. Yes. If we were to calculate every decision that we need to make before we decide to make it, it would take us too much time and take too much energy. So the brain is designed to think, okay, I'm going to go back in terms of what I know already and make a quick decision on that. Yes. So, and I always like to take the example in my talk say, if you go to a club and the security guard is wearing a pink outfit, you would definitely not be intimidated by him. But if he's wearing a black, completely black leather jacket, then you know that I'm not going to joke with this guy, six foot tall guy, I would not joke with him. But if he's wearing a pink outfit, six foot tall guy, say, hey, I think I can be friendly with him and crack some jokes. Yeah. And that's just on colors. And God knows what else, you know, influence are part of our decision process. And we are very much often emotional, you know, we're not rational thinkers, we are emotional thinkers. We go by food. Yes. Yeah. And brands just help us make, it's about creating that shortcut. Exactly. Exactly. Make it easy for an investor, an employee to decide, I want to work, or I'm going to choose to work with you. I'm going to choose to buy your services. I'm going to choose to give you my money. And that's what, that's why the power of a brand. And when you're a small business and you don't have the, you know, the budget to say, I'm going to spend so and so much money on this or whatever, your brand is you. And that's what, you know, food leadership you know, presenting where you present yourself, the way you, what you share there, you know, the values that you, you, you know, you communicate will get people, will attract people towards you. Yeah. So I'm just thinking about how I would sell your business to your potential employees. It'd be something along the lines of, you have no experience doing this thing, but I'm going to give you a job and I'm going to make you responsible for our client's business. If that terrifies you, don't apply. If that makes you excited, then this is the place for you, right? Whereas whereas what most job descriptions would say would be, we'll give you 21 days holiday. And it's like, that's not a benefit. That's a statutory obligation. Um, And, you know, we'll pay you. And that's also a statutory obligation. there's no emotion in these in job ads that people write. There's it just there's here's a list of all the things you have to give us. But what's the emotional Absolutely. Oh. And do you know what's funny, Sarah? Because uh, it's exactly what we say. Very similar to which, like, if you're looking for a place to make coffee, to for us to, to make me coffee or do some photocopy, that's not the place. It's not definitely ours. And I explain, like, if you're looking for a place, you're going to be excited. You're going to do different things that's going to challenge you every day. Then definitely you're going to enjoy working with us. And each day, each week goes at the speed of light. And, you know, it's 
it is so, so important that as an employer, and I remember I made a mistake before starting my own business, that you, you work for your employees. They don't work for you. You work to understand exactly how you're going to keep them, especially if they're great. You know, how do you make them give them all the possibility, all the tools to have them be the best at what they do? And money is really the main driver. It's something else. You know, people quit big jobs. You know, some of my guests on the podcast, something they work for Google, the Facebook, they left. They could have stayed. They had everything to stay, but there was something else I was missing. And when you start understanding this conversation with each of you and say, what do you want? What can I do to help you make this the best job? And so you can stay. And then when you start this conversation, you keep them forever. So there's a thing you know, but maybe there are other things. What is if I if you had to pick one thing you know now that you wish you'd known earlier in your career, what would it mm. or in your life? What would it be? So many things. I would definitely say buy some stock at Apple. <laughs> <laughs> buy some Zoom stock. Buy some <laughs> but I would say definitely. I would say probably I would have looked for a mentor much sooner in my career. I'm glad I have some. I have an amazing one, and I, and that would have definitely helped me, because again, to be you know, when you start a business, you have no clue what you're doing. You make so many mistakes. You spend money. God knows how much money I've I've spent. But for me, that was part of my learnings, and that's fine. But yeah, having a mentor the sooner, no matter what you are, old you are, you're always in the mentor, and that's really really good. And look for a mentor within your field, somebody who's who has a track record of success, have done what you do. And that really, really, really helped me. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely one thing. Buy some, invest some money in some good business sooner and get a, get a great mentor. Fan, fantastic. Yeah. And uh, we've spoken a bit about uh, your new book. Yeah. What other books do you think people listening to this podcast that you found helpful? What books should they pick up and read, do you think? Mm-hmm. I've read a lot of books. I, I, I find it because I, I read books, but I also love audio because I'm all, you know, I drive and it's not my, probably one of his multitaskers. So when I wake up in the morning, I put an audio. Um, I, like, I like that. So there's a lot of them that I've liked from the beginning. So I did like Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss from the four hour week. I love that because I'm yeah. greater business. Which I did out of fun, worked really well. Then I guess they, oh, I can't do this. So I put it on hold. So it's still there. Uh, I like as well, Think and Grow Rich. I think it's a classic. I think everybody should read it. It's like, you need to read this book. It's just brilliant. Just understanding the power of, power of mindset, which is super key. I also like Money from Rob Moore, which is a very uh, eccentric guy, really like an English guy who started from nothing and did really well in the property business. I yeah, like yeah. That. In World of Agency, I, I like Win Without Pitching from Blair Ends, who's yes. uh, been my virtual mentor, actually. And I also have him, I had him on the podcast. So, yes. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so the podcast with him was really good. Um, and that, I mean, that is, that is uh, I think that is such a powerful sentiment around don't pitch because so often you know certainly as an agency people just get dragged into dragged into giving all of our creative ideas to a client and not getting paid for it it's like you know have some you know have some backbone don't give it away refuse to pitch yeah to be honest i've stopped doing that a long time ago as well if by that point you know you're you know you see you've seen our track record you've seen what we do if you're not convinced we're not the right for you then we're not the right for you it is i have enough success stories to share and if you know if you don't want it that's fine and that's also why the power of being a niche 
helps you do that. Because if you, be, yes. if you are a, a generalist, you can't. Yes, because you just don't have that. You don't have that success story that that's really really relevant to them. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Have you got have you got uh, one last book? I mean, you've um, given me loads already, but I'm reading at the moment. I'm reading the Twelve Months to a Million Dollar. So I'm starting reading this Twelve Months to a Million Dollar. So, Twelve Months to a Million Dollars. Yeah, a Million Dollars. So yeah, so I'm reading this book. So I've started reading. It's very interesting. It's more. I think it's much more adapted for product company than than service company. But I think it's it's uh-huh. a very interesting guy. Telling some great stories. So, and I also like the hidden agenda. Also, that talks about, especially if, if you are understanding that if you are, when you are selling, especially B two B services to an organization, understand the hidden agenda of every single player, every decision maker. For example, the hidden agenda of a CEO would be very different from a marketing director. So, when you're able to articulate, uh, understand, and tell them how this will benefit them, because obviously, when you're selling to a business, you're selling to the, you know, what, what does it mean for the career? And obviously for a marketer, yes, they want to make sure they don't make any mistake that will affect their career. So you need to be that, again, that safe, cho- safe choice. So yes, so the hidden yeah. agenda is very interesting. It was actually, uh, the book is the guy who actually did the campaign for MasterCard, you know, you know, you can get anything, but this is priceless. You know, that campaign that was lasted forever. So he, he wrote that yeah. a great book. Oh, fab. All right. I'll get that. I haven't read that one. Fantastic. Uh, Flavella, thank you very much for being on the show today. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. You're a great host. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.